I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Thank you for joining us for this episode as we continue discussing Sexual Assault Awareness Month in this month of April. We do have a panel with us again this time, and I would like that panel to introduce themselves as we attempt to debunk some of the myths surrounding sexual abuse, assault, and prevention. Uh, my name is Ellen Higgins, and I'm the Director of Housing Services. And I'm Elizabeth Alderson, a licensed master social worker and therapist at DASIS. So many times people will say, or they'll hear things about sexual assault or what happens if you uh, attempt to report things. And there are a lot of myths associated with sexual assault, abuse, and prevention and reporting. Maybe we can start with debunking some of those myths this morning. I think um, the most common myth to kind of start with is that most rapes occur, you know, in that dark alley, you know, in the middle of the city um, by a stranger, where um, the actual fact behind that is that 75% of rape victims um, were assaulted by people that they knew, and oftentimes in places that they felt safe. 75 percent yes oh my goodness and so that's you know that's huge and so if if we looked at just you know that 75 percent felt safe in the location and knew who the assailant was you know if we looked at either one of those by themselves it's a lot higher it's usually around 90 percent of victims knew who their assailant was but then obviously some of them didn't feel safe in the place that they were you know but still it shows how much we don't really know or we don't understand about what's going on, like that common knowledge. Like there are people that have this knowledge and people that don't because, yeah, we're teaching kids to stay safe, to learn where to go, where not to go, um, you know, be cautious of people you don't know, be cautious of people because of the way they look or the way they act. But rarely are we teaching each other about, you know, the real, the real risk of it being people we know. And so oftentimes I experience um, in my work survivors who were, have been sexually assaulted by people that they were in intimate relationships with. And so they were consenting adults. You know, we talked about consent before. So they're over the age of 16. There is, you know, no drugs or alcohol. There's no force in part of it. They're consenting, having, you know, both are consenting parties having sex. And then one day they don't consent. 
you know, so whatever's going on, you know, every situation is different, but there's no consent in this, in this act and suddenly a rape occurs. And it's, so how do I report? How do I tell somebody that the person that I've been married to or with in a relationship with for five, 10, 30, 50 years occasionally rapes me? I don't, and it's not just that I didn't give consent because I didn't want to, but forcibly attacks me in the middle of the night and does what they want with me. And I'm too scared to share that information with somebody. You know, how do you go and share that when a week later, you know, you're consenting again? And is there even a possibility of consenting again in that relationship once that force has taken place? Or if the rest of the relationship can remain intact or what would happen and again, we have mentioned before that you are there for help and healing of the victim, not necessarily that they're going to have to dismantle the rest of their family relationships, but that they can go forward with some real skills and getting their power back and being able to to heal from these attacks. Right. What I usually, um, something I share with a lot of my clients is after you've, after you've experienced a rape or a sexual assault or any kind of trauma, you look at the world differently. And that's easy for me to understand because I wear glasses. And so I tell them that every single experience that you've had that's been related to trauma is like putting on a new pair of glasses. And you no longer see this world in the way you once did because your vision has changed. And that's a part of healing and coping. You will always be a survivor of whatever trauma you experience. You know, we work with sexual assault, with sexual violence and domestic violence, but that could be a car accident. That could be 9-11. That could be any trauma that you've experienced. Your world is shaped differently now. And so how are you going to cope with that? How can we help you along that path of hope and healing? That's what it's about. Because if we ignore what we've experienced, we're only hurting ourselves. Because you're right, it's not a, you know, for us, it's not about um, going after the assailant, getting criminal charges, um, any of that kind of stuff it's about how can we help you through this process how do we help you you know it's just like going to your eye doctor and saying I need glasses do I get contacts do I get glasses and then you know you need you know to look at life differently you have to have eye drops or all that stuff with goes along wearing glasses and your vision changing it's a great analogy and I know, Liz, you talked about most rapes occur in a dark alley by a stranger as a myth, but another myth that you just went into was it's impossible for a husband to sexually assault or rape his wife. Mm-hmm. And regardless of marital or social relationship, if a woman does not consent to having sex, it is rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would, you know, say that that's vice versa then, that then that we've even entered another myth, you know, a myth yeah. chain now that we're on here of that um, that women can't rape because they can rape. And, you know, because if we look at the definition of rape, it, it's taking power and control and using using sex as a weapon. And so it just segues into a whole another one of where, you know, yes, most survivors that come forward and report and most survivors that seek help are women, but we don't discredit um, what men or even who people who just identify as male experience in this world. You know, men are assaulted all the time. 
and there is so much stigma around their reasons for not reporting but we want to give validity to that too that yeah wives can rape rape girlfriends can rape right. women in power can rape and oftentimes that's for both genders so it's not just that uh, men rape rape women or women rape men but that men can rape other men and women can rape other women Men do not have to be concerned about sexual assault. It only affects women. It's just not true. Uh, although the majority of victims are female, it, it it affects men. One out of seven boys will become a victim of sexual assault by their 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. And we do such a so discredit in our communities um, when we don't talk about how this affects men, when we just talk about how women are victims and how women are assaulted, you know, we help in the victimization of men and of little boys and teenage boys when we don't talk about the stories of men that we experience. I've been working at, in and off at DASIS, a partner with DASIS for over five years and most of the time been working with sexual assault survivors and so I've experienced more male clients than other staff have, have and it's still a staggering difference of the male survivors that I work with and the female survivors that I work with. It's still only a handful of men every year and, you know, several handfuls of women. But I'm so proud of this movement that's happening in the nation because every year I have more survivors that are male, that are that are seeking services, that are calling our 1-800 number. And it's so empowering to me to see that, that men are gaining the voice because I can't imagine living in this world as a man who's been sexually assaulted and all you see on TV is how women need to gain a voice mm-hmm. and never there being um, a mention of how I need to gain my voice. You know, And so I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a survivor and then all of the media or most of the media show that men are the problem. Right. Like I, cool. I just can't imagine that. And then when Tyler Perry told his story on Oprah, mm and how he was sexually abused as a child by someone, again, that he trusted. But then they showed uh, the audience. It was full of men who had been sexually assaulted, and I thought that was huge to bring a voice to that like he did and show the audience full of men who have experienced what he experienced was just, it was, it was that opening that door of, we can talk about this, mm-hmm. I am not alone. Yeah, yeah. I that was probably the most powerful thing that I've seen in a long time. It was amazing. Uh-huh. Well, you have kind of, of when you're talking about men reporting, it's not just young men who mm-hmm. are assaulted sexually. No, um, sexual assault. You know, it affects it affects all demographics, and it, it ex, you know it's experienced by all ages. And so it's, I think it's really hard for, you know, us to say, you know, how it affects every generation a little differently. You know, so yeah, there are, you know, young men and women that are getting assaulted, but there's also, you know, our elderly population is getting assaulted. I know when I've talked um, to different individuals about, you know, safe sex practices and just if you are engaging, you know, what behaviors and what things just to keep you safe around and the prevalence of um, just infections and that kind of stuff. They're always amazed when I when I ask them the question, you know, where do you think, what population, what age range do you think has more sexually transmitted infections than any other population? And no one ever guesses our elderly population, and it is. Wow. 
you know, it, you know, and so it's, it's, and it's most often because they don't, they're unable to get pregnant. And so they're not worried about using protection because they can't get pregnant. So, you know, they're not worried about it. But many other things to protect yourself. <laughs> right. From. Yeah. And right. so I know a lot of, uh, I have a lot of friends that have worked in nursing homes and stuff, and there are different um, infections that will run rampant its course through there. And so then my approach to that behind it is, okay, so this is happening, but how many of those people are consenting? Right. And what's happening, you know, behind the scenes of that? Do another question or? Well, another myth um, is, you know, if she wore something tight or low cut, if she was acting sexy, if she went out alone, if she stayed out late, if she was drinking or using drugs or kissing her attacker, um, she was asking to be raped. And I know just personal experience, if I'm walking down the street, I'm being sexually harassed. We have been groomed at such a young age to think it's because of something that we've done. So inadvertently, I'm questioning, well, maybe I wore something that I shouldn't have, even though I here I am in boots and a large coat, you know, that and that is deemed, well, she wasn't wearing anything. So, yes, of course, why would someone sexually harass her? But it has nothing to do with, with what I'm wearing. It has nothing to do with the fact that I went to my car alone like I should be able to walk to my car without feeling like I have to um, make sure I'm aware of my surroundings that as soon as I get in I have to lock the doors that I need to check my rear view mirror that I have to check the back seat before I even get in to make sure no one's back there and I do all of those things right now because I feel as though I have to and the myth is not that it it's not the sex part it's the power and it's the the i'm going to take this from you regardless you you are not really playing a part in that right some people will say well just wear you know like a potato sack and then you won't be sexually assaulted but we know that's not true right and so we say that as a joke but it should be that i walk down the street naked and i should be free to have no one say or do any actions because of that if it's about my clothing Mm-hmm. then it's about me as a person and I deserved this and that's not what it is it's about the the perpetrator and them trying to gain power and control and so would I ever encourage anybody to walk down the street naked mm-hmm. no right. because you'll probably get arrested for like indecent exposure right. or something but. like that but you should be able to have the freedom to do and to do and act and wear what you want to wear and and not be assaulted and not be hurt by somebody you know and whether it's someone you know or someone you don't know like yeah, you shouldn't have to be afraid. You shouldn't have to second guess. Are these jeans too tight? Are they too loose? Do they cut off? Is there a hole in the wrong place? Is my shirt different? You know, especially now in Michigan. I mean, it's winter. Like, it's mm-hmm. cold out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're worried about what we're wearing and what it looks like. Is it the wrong color? Or yeah. Well, something? even though rape is a sexual act, the reason someone rapes is that they lack power and control and choose Mm -hmm. to use sex as a weapon to get it back Mm -hmm. would you say well I don't even know another myth about perpetrators not just that they aren't always strangers but um, do they repeat these actions how how can you head this off can you spot this happening before it happens well actually uh, hard and fast rules guarantee personal safety that's a myth they don't um there are certain things that you can do to become more aware but nothing can guarantee any degree of safety 
but also though to go back to your your question about inform like about perpetrators so yes perpetrators often perpetrate more than one person so when you've learned how to gain power and control over to the over one person you'll use it over other people as well and so we see that on a national level um, in our research about offenders we've found that um, even doing um, even going through the backlog of the rape kits throughout the nation they continue to find more and more um, sexual offenders who are you know repeating 10 and 15 of these crimes because they've never been caught yet so they keep committing the same crime because we have to remember that this behavior of rape is very similar to the behavior of stealing they're gaining power and mm -hmm. control over someone this is just their outlet they've used like ellen said sex as a weapon and so this weapon works why not continue to use it um and so yeah we see it all across because it's not about um the victim and what the victim was doing it's about that assailant and so they they work at a relationship to see if this is someone I can gain power and control over they try different tactics if they work they keep going eventually if it's too hard of a work or whatever they'll they'll go on to their next target you know that's that's why it's not about strangers assaulting people and it's about people that know you or that know others assaulting people because that's where they've gained information on how on how to assault people you know it it is a tactic it is a behavior it isn't just you know when we say it's a stranger in the back alley we're saying that that assailant was just walking down the street saw you and was like yep gonna rape that one where usually it's a planned out thought you know there are a lot of actions and thoughts and plans behind it it's a very manipulative behavior and we have to give account to that like it, it sounds scary to say that there are assailants out there who plan these acts out but they do it's not just a random act of violence it's it's thought out it's manipulative and it's planned and so yeah once they have one victim um it's very often that they will they will have more and more victims. And sometimes you see that within a family situation where maybe the victim, the initial victim moves out or gets older or um, different situations like that and the perpetrator continues with younger family members or other family members, so. And we see that a lot in families, like you said, because because of the private conversation that it is. So we're scared to talk about, you know, your older family member and what they're doing because everyone else loves them and respects them. And no one, el no one else is talking mm -hmm. about, you know, that it's weird that they want to play with you alone or it's weird that they have these conversations or any of those behaviors. And so sometimes even just saying it to a family member that you trust like that this is happening is really hard because everybody else at Thanksgiving is loving on this person mm -hmm. so why so it must be something wrong with me why do I feel bad about my interactions with this person when then what we'll see later on is when there's that connection or openness to share what's going on that other people will say in the family yeah this happened to me too and so sometimes we don't even see like you were talking about um, a victim ages up and so the assailant finds a younger victim but sometimes they have multiple victims of different ages at the exact same time because it's all about that power and control over whatever relationship and so they may um, have multiple victims in the same family at the same time but at the I, same dinner table. At the same dinner table. Oh, my goodness. 
Another myth that um, many of our male listeners might be feeling or thinking about is with sexual awareness and, and reporting that it's almost a we don't like men club. And that is so not what you're talking about today. You're absolutely correct. Yes. Um, yeah, this isn't about um, that all men are bad. You know, we talk about men as vic- as assailants and women as victim because that's what we see the most of. And we work really hard to try not to use those gender pronouns because we know that it's not true and we know that we're just fielding, you know, the biases around that because, you know, what we've talked about is that men can be victims and they can be victims of of female perpetrators, not just male-on-male violence. You know, there's female-on-male violence, but um, Dr. David Lisak did some research back in 2002 at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, about serial um, sexual rapists, so rapists who commit so many rapes that they're considered serial rapists. And what he found in studying um, men on the campus was that of all the men that he studied, um, one in 10 of them had committed a rape in their lifetime at that point in the study. So 10% of the men he interviewed had committed a rape, and they were admitting to that. But out of that, that 10%, 80% of those men had only done it once or twice. So they were not considered considered serial rapists. So we're talking about a tenth of the population of men have admitted in this study that they committed a that they committed rape. And then out of that 10%, only 20% of those people have committed serial rapists. And so those people, you know, these assailants that we that we talk about in the media when we talk about men as rapists or men as assailants, we're talking about a very small part of the population. We're talking about less than 10%, and we're talking about, you know, less than 20% of that 10 being serial rapists. However, because we give them an identity, because we call them male and men, it's then assumed that all men are going to be, you know, rapists and and we know that's not true and that's that's my bad for using those terms so loosely and that's you know that's how we as a movement have have learned and changed and continue to work on evolve to evolve because no we we one we appreciate men and 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 we encourage men to come forward and to talk about their experience. And so if we only use the word male and men when we're talking about assailants, we're disvaluing their experience as victims. And that is, you know, in my mind, one of the worst things that we could ever do. Well, and if you turn those statistics around, 90% plus of men will never become perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Correct. And those 90% are the men that, you know, are helping our movement. This is not just uh, a woman's movement. This it's, It may be how it started, but it, it, it can't continue to flourish and be that way. We can't do this on our own. We're not just a group of women, you know, helping survivors because I can't understand the impact that this has on a man mm-hmm. because I've never walked in a man's shoes. And you know, and that's just the way it is for me. You know, I haven't. And so I can't understand. And that's why that 90% of men who are advocates who work in this field, who support us, who volunteer, um, all of, you know, they're so important. And 
you know, their voice needs to be heard in this as well, that we appreciate them, that we respect them and care about them. And never do we want them to think that this is an anti-men movement because it can't be. It's not. Men are not the problem. They are part of the solution. And I think the biggest supporters of men that we have in this room are our husbands. I mean, they are the ones we come home to every day that they can feel that heaviness of the day that we may have had, but them being in our lives and them advocating on our behalf and um, talking about how important it is, you know, to, to be an example that they they they're such a wonderful example in our lives and what they can be in other people's lives. We we need them um, to to be the example for the rest of the world. Well, and if you also consider those victims who are working on healing mm-hmm. their fathers and brothers and husbands Absolutely. and how much help that all the men in their lives will be in that process. Mm-hmm. And we're always looking for more men to come and join us in this, you know, not just, you know, like Ellen said, our husbands and our and the family that are there around us, but but other men, because we again, we can't understand what it's been like. And so we're always looking for men to come forward that are saying, you know, I, I'm willing to walk alongside this male victim, this male survivor and help them in any way I can, because I have a little bit better of understanding you know, based mm-hmm. on gender. And it's mm-hmm. so, it's so impactful. And keep in mind, we're here to help the victim and the survivor of, you know, sexual assault, but we can't end sexual assault as women because we're not the perpetrator. We're not, and we need men to stand up and be the example so we can actually end sexual assault. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. We will be back with more information. And if you need any resources, please do visit our website, dasismi.org, or call our 24-hour hotline at 800-828-2023. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasmi.org. That's dasismi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.